Well, good morning to you. Let me thank you, say first of all, thank you all so much for being here. Uh, go ahead and open your Bibles to Psalm 51. Psalm 51. So there's ups and downs about being the worship guy around here. Uh, first, uh, I know how every song structures and how it functions, so I uh, uh, kind of know about how much time I have between uh, before starting preaching, and so I just want to thank the worship team for just leading us so well this morning. Um, uh, really quick, if you don't have a Bible, we do have Bibles in the back for you. Uh, you'll pick them up and feel free to use them this morning. We will spend most of our time in Psalm 51. Uh, if you are a guest with us, uh, I just want to say thank you all so much for being here. Um, if you all should have received a bag, and if you received a bag, if you open the bag, there's a guest card in that bag. And we're going to just ask you guys to just to fill that out. And, and all that is for is just to help us connect with you, to know, get to know you better, to grow in relationships with you. So um, I would invite you to, if you fill that out, just put that in the offering plate at the very end of service as we give our normal offering. Uh, if you're at Psalm 51, go ahead and stand with me as we read God's word um, together. It says, To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him, After he had gone into Bathsheba, verse 1, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Can we pray? Father, this word has been heavy on my heart all week. Um, Lord, I pray constantly for every single person in this room. Lord, I don't believe it's by chance that we're here. God, I believe that you have led us at this place to hear the good news of the gospel. As we've already been singing, Lord, there's no greater love than the love of Jesus. And Father, I pray this morning as your word is open, God, that you would just teach us more about yourself. God, that you would teach us the seriousness of sin. God, and that you would show us the holiness of all that you are. Oh, God. Open our eyes to see the wondrous glory of Jesus, I pray. Lead this time, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Uh, so we're in the second week of uh, our mini-series called Have Mercy. It's in, a, I guess, a sub-mini-series in our larger series, which is in the whole book of Psalms. We've been going through this entire book. We've already been a year into the Psalms, and uh, we've got at least a hundred more to go, by the way, so we, we've got a while to go in Psalms, but we just have took a break, and we're going to spend the next few weeks in Psalm 51, uh, because there's just so much in this text. Um, I'm a big worship guy. I love music. That's uh, the only thing I do is listen to worship music. I just love new songs. I, I love different worship teams, worship groups. I love different worship expressions. I love older hymns. I love newer songs, and uh, one of my favorite bands, uh, I just came out with their newest worship album just two months ago, uh, and one of their songs on their album, uh, I believe it's one of the best songs of their album, this is what the first verse says. I've been strong and I've been broken within a moment. I've been faithful and I've been reckless at every bend. I've had everything together and watched it shatter. I've stood tall and I've crumbled in the same breath. 
I love that lyric. This is one of my favorite songwriters wrote it, but it's not the only reason I love the song. I love the melody. I love the singability of it. It's my ringtone right now. It's the main bridge of the song. But the reason I love that lyric is because it's true about every single person in humanity. And specifically, it's very true about every single Christian in the world. There's a lot of people who want to act that, like Romans 7 isn't a reality. That, that as a believer, we've been given a new spirit, a new spirit of delight in Jesus, a new spirit that hates the things of the world, who, who wants to know and grow and love Jesus with everything that we are. We have a new song. We have a new spirit inside of us. But the reality is we still live in a broken world. We still live in a broken flesh. Our flesh, just anything it can just to, just to cling on to this world. And as we walk through life with Jesus, the, our flesh is just saying, hold up. Doesn't that look good over there? Doesn't that look good over there? Can't you just be a part of that for a second? And we fight through the things. It's a war with inside of us. The reality is that every single one of us as believers are at war. Again, we have new ambitions. We have new desires. But, but our flesh wants to do everything opposite. I just love what Paul says because I believe it's so true. We want to do things that are right. We want to follow Jesus with everything that we are. But our flesh continually wants to do other things. We're going to get to that at the very end of this text. But what I'm, what I'm encouraged with, and, and if you were here last week, you know we were in 2 Samuel uh, chapters 11 and 12. And what, what I've learned is that this experience that we all live through as believers, fighting the flesh that we so desperately want to get away from and follow Jesus, it's not an experience just for our generation. It's not an experience that only Paul experienced in first century AD. This experience happened all the way back in the times of King David. You remember the story from last week? King David, a man who, in every sense of the word, is, is someone who we want to replicate in our own worship. Multiple worship books have been written about this man. Why? He's a shepherd boy, the great-grandson of the incredible Ruth of the Bible. King David, the, the one who God anointed and chose to be the, the king of all Israel. King David, the one who he protected from the pursuits of Saul after all those years of Saul trying to kill him. King David, the one who led Israel back to true worship of Yahweh. King David, who's the great songwriter, the great musician, the great worshiper. Yes, even him. At the very lowest moments of his life, even him was guilty of being persuaded and being tricked in by that ancient serpent who just says, take a bite. There's joy. There's happiness. And what we see about King David is that he took that bite and there wasn't joy and happiness, right? He, he saw a woman named Bathsheba on top of Ruth bathing. King David then um, commits adultery with Bathsheba while her husband's at war. Uh, trying to cover his tracks. She becomes pregnant. He brings Uriah back, Bathsheba's husband, tries to persuade him to go spend time with his wife. And, and Uriah, we see in the text, he's just a faithful warrior. He's a faithful servant of, of the nation. He, he wants to serve his comrades. He wants to serve his king well. So, so David, in the last moment of desperation, he just comes up with a plan, right? He, wants, he said, well, if I kill Uriah... 
If Uriah is dead, I don't have to worry about getting caught committing adultery by, the, by my nation. So he plans it out. He sends the, actually the plan with Uriah to kill Uriah back to the main uh, uh, commander-in-chief of the army. And, and what we see is that Uriah dies in battle, just like David planned. And, and what we see in, a, in the end of chapter 11 of 2 Samuel is that what he did, David thought he was good. He thought he was off. Uh, 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 he was in, in the shadow. But what we see is that what he did displeased the Lord, right? So God in his sovereignty chooses a, a prophet named Nathan to confront King David of his sin. And we pick it up in 2 Samuel 12, verse 9. It says, Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, I just want to give that quick review because that confrontation, that moment when Nathan confronts David in his sin is the very context of Psalm 51. Now, we know the short answer of what David does, right? He repents of his sin. It's in chapter 12 of 2 Samuel. But Psalm 51 is, is the elongated, I guess you would say, response to the accusation that God has brought before him. It's, it's a psalm of repentance. Yet... This psalm is not just an individual song. This psalm is also meant for corporate worship as well. Spurgeon says it this way. This psalm is not only a confession during individual times of repentance, but listen, it's equally well adapted for assembly of the poor in spirit. So this morning, brothers and sisters, I've got encouraging news for you. If you're like me who has failed constantly every single day this week, the glory and majesty of God, I've got good news that God, through the Holy Spirit, inspired King David to write a psalm of repentance of his own sin. But it's also a psalm that me and you can also sing with him this morning. So two points to keep in mind as we work through these first six verses of Psalm 51. Number one, God is the ultimate judge and king of the universe. Again, number one, God is the ultimate judge and king of the universe. How did David know that he was in sin? Simply, because God said that he was. So in other words, morality and the idea of what sin is doesn't come from us, but it comes from God. What is right or wrong in the eyes of God isn't determined by us. Why don't we hear that so much in our society today? His decision, his kingly authority alone, right? If he, the judge, says we are guilty, he means we are guilty. God is the ultimate judge who declares his rules. Now, a few weeks ago, we were in Psalm 50. And what was the theme of Psalm 50? You have an ESV Bible. The title of it is God himself is judge. What we saw in the text is that God is judge over everyone, not just a sinner. He's a judge over his own people. He will call us in our sin. Psalm 51 is behind Psalm 50, and that's not a random Choice that was something that was specifically designed because why? God is a judge. He judges David guilty. This is David's response. Secondly, what we're going to see in Psalm 51 is David's confession of sin. Confession, a big Bible word, big church word. It just simply means to say the same thing. So confession is agreeing with God about our sin. 
It also involves repentance or turning away from our sin that we have confessed, no longer embracing it. So we, we agree with God that we have sinned against him, we did, but we just don't give lip service. We actually turn from our sin. So we say, Lord, we have done this. We pray you would forgive us of that. And I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to turn and go the other way. I'm going to follow you. That's what we see in this text. So with all that in mind, here's our main idea that I want us to see this morning. The awareness of sin before the Lord God results in crying to him for mercy. Say that one more time. The awareness of sin before the Lord God results in crying to him for mercy. So the first thing we're going to see is that recognizing sin before the Lord leads to crying to him for mercy. Go back to verses 1 through 3. It says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Now, a few things, if, you're a, if, you, if you don't mind writing in your Bible, and you're, if that's somebody, if you're one of those people, uh, let me encourage you to underline a few words here. David uses three different words. To, to translate his sin. So in other words, he's acknowledging that he has sinned against God. Verse 1, you see the word transgressions? I would underline that, and I'll tell you what it means in a second. Verse 2, underline the word iniquity. In, the next line, and cleanse me from my sin, underline sin. And then again, verse 3, we see transgressions, and then we see sin again. So, so David's confronted by God through the prophet Nathan, and, and as he becomes aware of his sin before the holy God, the first thing that we see is that David confesses the depth of his sin. He says, blot out my transgressions. So transgressions here translates to a criminal offense, a rebellion, or trespass. So in other words here, David confesses that his sin before God was treason. He's guilty of mutiny and purposeful disobedience to his God. David crosses a forbidden line in the eyes of his God in serious rebellion. He confesses his willful decision to despise the word of the Lord and partake in his criminal offense. Now, if you like history, I love history, especially American history. We're very much aware of the Civil War, right? Especially in the South, if you go to Shelby, there's still a statue about the Confederacy. Some of the, I think some of that's kind of getting toward down now, depending on the situation. Um, but what is, that, what is the Civil War actually called amongst the society? A couple different names, right? There's North against the South, Confederacy against the Union. But I think the most famous name for that war is what? The Yankees versus the Rebels. So what that means is in 1861, when the Confederacy was formed under President Jefferson Davis... The Union States of America considered the Confederacy who, who went away from the Union and said, we don't want to follow your ways anymore, we want to do our own thing. What that means is that they see the Confederacy as guilty of treason. In other words, they're rebels. They're rebels. They, they, they've run away from the system. So David here confesses that his acts of sin were willful acts of rebellion to his God. Verse 2 says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Iniquity here can translate 
perversion or what we would say depravity, original sin. So David here confesses his deep issue of internal sin by nature. And at the very core of who David is, he is filthy. He's sinful. He is fully depraved. David says, watch me thoroughly from the depravity that is embedded in my very person. He then says, cleanse me from my sin. That sin is the most, I guess, famous definition of sin, which literally means just to miss the mark, to fall short. Uh, like playing sports and, and play basketball and baseball my entire life. Uh, uh, and shooting basketball, if you, if you miss, you miss the basket, right? And so you miss your shot, you miss the target. David here misses God's righteous standards because of his rebellion. God is perfect. David's sin has allowed him to miss the mark of his perfection. I just want to pause and just say that the greatest problem of our world today is, is not economics, it's not politics, it's not sexual behavior or racial injustice. It's the fact that we as human beings do not think that we are wrong in what we do. Ask anybody who's doing whatever they want to in life, whatever, what type of sin that is, and they're going to tell you that, well, it's right to me. God could be mad at me. God's not angry at me. He's a loving God. If he's a loving God, how could he be angry with me? We, want to ref- we always refuse to admit that we have missed the mark of a righteous God who demands righteous living. David here in this passage, confronted by God in his sin, confesses, confesses that he recognizes his rebellion and is absolutely guilty. He confesses his sin to the Lord. David writes in Psalm 32, 5, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin, Selah. But David just doesn't stop by just confessing the depths of the sin. He further explains why his sin is such an issue. Why is sin an issue? He speaks in verse 4, Against you and you only have I sinned, underline sinned, and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. So David here explains why his sin is such an issue. Uh, God Almighty hates sin. He can't even look at it. He despises it. And Further, he as king and judge over all the earth must deal with sin accordingly. Again, as I mentioned, that many in the world would be appalled to hear that a holy God is offended by our sin. That we must recognize that we are sinners before him. But, but further, would be appalled that we have to confess or agree with him that we have sinned against him. David here in verse 4 has no excuse, no quick attempt to explain himself. He, he knows he is guilty and confesses that his sin is ultimately against God alone. God is justified and blameless in his judgment against David. Every charge, every accusation is absolutely true. He can't bring nothing to the court. There's no evidence to support his claim that he is righteous or good. He knows he is guilty. And compare this, remember Isaiah 6, my favorite passage in the entire Bible. Remember when Isaiah saw the glory of God and he saw 
the cherubim yelling back and forth, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. His whole earth is filled with his glory. You remember what happens when Isaiah saw that? Verse 5, he says, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. See, in light of the holiness and, and perfection of God Almighty, Isaiah, just like David, recognizes that he is absolutely sinful and helpless. He has nothing he can bring to the table that supports his efforts compared to the holiness of God himself. God is the ultimate definition of perfection. And Isaiah, David, you and I today are nothing but worms in a field. Now, let's pause real quick. When David says that he sinned against God alone, does that mean that he's saying he didn't sin against other people? No, right? Absolutely not. Look at the story. Absolutely, he sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against Uriah. He sinned against the whole nation of Israel. But this is what this means. David recognizes that ultimately all sin is rooted and grounded in rebellion against God. Get that? Everything we do, every sin that we commit, if we sin against someone else, it's ultimately rooted against our sin against God. So if a husband cheats on his wife, someone commits murder, someone steals from their neighbor, if an 18-year-old sits in the room quietly watching porn at night, yes, they are sinning against other people, but that all that sin is rooted, rooted in our sin against the holy and righteous God. David continues in verse 5. Behold, I was brought forth, underline iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. So in verse 5 here, David isn't making an excuse for what he did. He isn't blaming his mom for how he grew up. David is David expressing further the depth and overall desperate issue he has as a human being. His outward expression of sin, which was in the, in, in the light of adultery and murder, came from a much more internal issue that he has as a human being. So David, by nature, is a sinner. In other words, being a sinner is embedded in the very DNA and fabric of David's existence. The reason he committed adultery, the reason he committed murder, is because he is a sinner by nature. His sin at the core of his person exploded like a soda bottle that's been shaken up, and when you open the lid, it explodes. His sin has exploded. He sinned because he is a sinner. And brothers and sisters, that doesn't stop with David. This statement defines every single person in this world, including you and I today. Romans 3, verse 10 through 12 says, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside together, they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And we see the root of all sin, Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So I'm 29. Uh, me and Megan will be married uh, almost two years in September. It will be two years in September. Um, and I'm at an age where everybody I went to school with, everybody I grew up with, is that at a moment where they're either getting married See pictures of them having, being pregnant, about to have babies, just in that process of least thinking about having kids, right? 
So we hear about it all the time. Our family drives us crazy about wanting to have the grandbabies. And our Christmas gifts have slowly been decreasing. I noticed this year that, that I used to get kind of good gifts still for my family. I've, I've now got lighters and stuff like that. It's like, we want grandbabies. You need to get out of the way, right? Um, but it's, that's not the only reason I hear about babies all the time. We just see them. All my friends are having kids now. All my close, uh, maybe family and other people are, are pregnant. They're, they're having babies. There's different pictures. There's different things. Um, so we hear about babies all the time. And this is some of my favorite quotes about their kids. I know me and Megan will do the same thing one day. Tell me if you've ever heard this. Look how perfect he or she is. Look how precious my child is. Look at my innocent little baby. It's my favorite one. Look at my innocent little baby. And I just want to be careful with them now to say this because I realize that children are a blessing from the Lord. I want to make that, be sure that's very clear today. We love kids here at Battleground. Um, but I just, can I just encourage you to, to simply maybe clean up our language as believers? According to verse 5 in the rest of Scripture, there's no such thing as an innocent or perfect child. No such thing. And I believe that you just have to spend time with the child for one minute to realize that you don't have to teach them how to be bad, right? It's the other way. This is how, you, this is how you're good. Because of Adam's sin in the garden, listen, every single human being that has or ever will live in this world with the exception of Jesus Christ our Lord, he and will inherit Adam's sin nature. Say that again. We're all infected, with, infected by that disease. David says, right when he was conceived in his mother's belly as a fetus, he was already tainted with the curse of sin. David's sin that he committed came from the very fabric and DNA that is rooted inside his flesh, which screams out sin. Again, this is where we turn to Romans 7. If you're in Christ this morning, you know that sin no longer has a hold on you. You aren't a slave to sin any longer, but a slave to righteousness. You've been redeemed. You've been sanctified through the work of Jesus Christ. You've been given a new nature, a new spirit that bears righteous fruit, who's shaping you and forming you into the image of Christ. That bears that 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 gives you new desires, new ambitions, new passions that no longer wants to make practice of sin. Yet, while we do have this new spirit of righteousness, our flesh in this world is still making war against us. And that is exactly why the great hymn writer said, prone to wander or to feel it, prone to leave the God I love. So we just praise God at this moment and then so one moment we praise God, and the next we flip out on somebody going down the road, going 30 miles per hour under. It drives me crazy. It's like, man, go to the speed limit. See, we are war, brothers and sisters, with our flesh. So here's my encouragement before we continue on. Hate sin. Lay aside everything that is holding you down. Look to Christ. Seek the things of heaven. Flee from our old sinful passions. Work out your fear with faith with fear and trembling. Love, holiness. Here's the best thing I can tell you. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And listen, before we continue, and when you sin and fall short of God's glorious standard, confess and repent from your sin to the Lord, because why? He is faithful and just to 
forgive. And that's what we see in this text. David, a worshiper of God, when confronted by God in his sin, confesses his sin to the Lord and cries out to him for mercy. Secondly, recognizing the nature and ability of the Lord leads to crying to him for mercy. Say that one more time. Recognizing the nature and the ability of the Lord leads us to crying to him for mercy. So, so David's confronted with the sin. He, he not only confesses that he's sinned, but he cries out to the only one he knows that can forgive him. David acknowledges that of God's nature. He acknowledges his ability. And notice the various imperatives that God uses in this text. Again, go to verse 1. Have mercy, underline mercy, only, O God, according to your, underline steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. So in other words, we're going to see more. God is the only one who can do these things. God's the only one who can bestow mercy. God's the one who is full of steadfast love. God is full of abundant mercy. God's the only one who can handle his sin in this way. So David here first acknowledges God's nature. Again, notice, have mercy on me, O God. So David, before the throne of God, understands that Forgiveness with God was based solely on divine mercy, not human merit. So in other words, David realizes that he doesn't deserve grace or forgiveness. He's filthy. He's not worthy to stand before God. His sin called for justice and punishment. But listen, David cries out to God to have mercy on him. This request was not what he deserved which was discipline, which was death, but what he desperately needs, which is God's grace. Notice the next line. According to your steadfast love, it says, according to your abundant mercy, we know throughout the Psalms, steadfast love is a covenant word. It points to the covenant-keeping God who in his sovereign grace chose to love the nation of Israel and claimed them as his own. The men fall short on their side of the covenant. Listen, God is able to hold his side up perfectly. He never fails. His love and promises will never fade. For all of his unworthiness, David still knew that he still belonged to the one true king. He says, according to your abundant mercy. The second word for mercy here is an emotional term that Joseph uses in Genesis 43.30 where he says, heart or innermost being yearns for his brother. So, so, So David appeals to the very nature of who God is. He's the covenant-keeping God. He's full of mercy and compassion. Oh, God, deal with my sin according to all that you are. Don't deal with me with your justice, but according to your perfect love and compassion. Continue on. We secondly see that David acknowledges God's ability. Notice the next, next section. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. The word blood out here literally means to erase, to remove, to, to erase from the record. So, so David cries out to the Lord to remove from the record of his rebellion and criminal offense. Secondly, we see that he says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Wash me literally means Washing dirty clothes. His sin 
It's like a dirty uniform on a ball field that's full of stains and muck and he stinks and he's filthy. David says, do anything you can. Lord, wash me permanently, perfectly. Now, I brought this shirt. Um, yes, I went to Bessemer City. Um, <laughs> that's bad. There was a laugh. <laughs> um, now, a couple of things that's impressive about this shirt. You can't see the date on it, but it's 1999. I still wear it 20 years later. Um, it's not necessarily because I've skinny or anything. It's just because I got really big shirts when I was younger. And I, if you notice about it, uh, it's been worn a lot. Played ball my entire life. Practices, batting practices. Uh, times of just playing out in the field or whatever I was doing, right? Worked out in the shirt for years. If you notice, this thing's clean. If you smell it, it's clean. What you notice about it is that there's a sweat stain that's brown now. Armpit's a little dirty now, right? There's it's not really white anymore. I, I think it's more of a dirty cream. Uh, and it wasn't like that. It was white at one point. And this is what David's saying. My sin is permanently stained on me. I'm filthy like this shirt. There's not enough cleaner that I have to ever remove this stain from this shirt. I don't have it. Not enough Clorox, not enough uh, bleach to ever clean all of this. God, you're the only one who has the perfect water. You're the only one who can remove this stain completely to make this shirt completely white again. You're the only one who can clean my mess. Whatever you have to do, Lord, wash me completely. Clean me from my filthiness and sin. But David further says, and cleanse me from my sin. Now this cleanse me is pointing back to the purification of a person before entering the temple of worship couldn't just go into the temple and worship. You had to be purified, cleaned a certain way before you could go in and worship Yahweh. David here pleads for God to purify him completely so that he will be an acceptable offering of worship to the Lord. He says, Oh, Father, purify me from my sin against you so that I may enter your courts with praise. Let's continue on again in verse 4. It says, Against you... And you only have I sin underlined against you. And then what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. This text again points us to the reality of Psalm 50. And how God is the one who sits on the throne. He is a judge and he will deal with sin and brokenness with perfect justice and perfect righteousness. God is holy, God is sovereign, and he will not be mocked when David sinned. When you and I sinned this morning, we ultimately sin against him. We rebel against him. We miss his perfect standards. God hates sin, and it must be removed. Yet, what we see is not the only, is that God is just and the righteous, uh, just and the righteous judge. He is also a merciful and loving Savior. God is willing and able to clean and remove our sin record. He's willing to wash us from our filthiness. And he is able and willing to purify us from our sins so that we can stand before him in humble worship. Praise God for his mercy and grace this morning. Verse 6. David writes, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. And you teach me wisdom in 
the secret heart. David continues here and says that God delights in truth at the very core of a person. Another way to say that is God delights in righteous and faithful living that comes from our very person, our very core. And what we've learned from this passage, anything this morning, is that we simply can't do that as, as a man, as, as human beings. In fact, the entire Bible shows us evidence that if our faithfulness, if, if our relationship, relationship with God is based on what we can do, it will utterly fail every single time. We simply cannot remain faithful because we are sinful human beings. We can't delight in the things above because we by nature love the things of this world. We can't seek after God because our sinful nature worships this life alone. Something then has to happen, brothers and sisters. And David says, God, you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. So here's our question. How can a person come to an understanding that they have sinned and have fallen short of God's glorious standard? How can we walk in a life of holiness and repentance? How can we understand the gospel of Jesus? How can we repent and believe if we don't have no heart to do so? Answer, God must teach us wisdom in the secret heart. He says in Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27, listen, God says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and listen, I'll give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So how can a person be transformed from a condemned sinner to a beloved child of the one true king? Simply, God must intervene. God removes our heart of stone. He he, he replaces it with a heart of worship and opens our hearts and eyes to behold the glory of all that he is. He places his spirit inside of us and transforms our sinful souls to righteous children. He leads us in his righteousness. He removes our old passions, our old lifestyle, and he replaces it with the new joy in Jesus, which is always centered in wanting to follow him more and more deeply. So praise God that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Praise God that he delights in faithfulness and righteousness. And listen, he teaches us these things. So how can we apply this text this morning? Simple, it's a really simple question. Is the awareness of my sin before the Lord God resulting in crying for mercy? Say that one more time. Is the awareness of my sin before the Lord God resulting in crying for mercy? Um, you can go ahead and turn to Romans 7. Um, I'm well aware this morning that, that this, this text has been very it's dark. <laughs> We've probably said the word sin more times this, this morning than we have the past two months. But if I'm honest with you, this, this text has wrecked me this week. Um, just reading this text, and God has just continually brought to my own heart and mind just different things that maybe in the past a long time ago that I just have never asked God to forgive me of. It's wrecked my heart. He's it it just, just reminding me of his sovereign grace, his love, his mercy towards us. But it's, it's also been a humbling text because I believe that David's situation 
It could be my story. It could be your story at any moment as a believer. We've thought continually about various pastors, really popular pastors, who've, who've, whose, whose uh, um, I guess, faults have been evident and very shown over in, in the public over the past few months. have been reminded of celebrities and ball players who've confessed to be believers, and I do truly believe they are, and yet they, they fall into sin, and their testimony is tarnished. The name of Jesus has, has been affected in the community in a negative way. As I said earlier, unlike what some may believe, Romans 7 is a reality of our lives as Christ's followers. Until we take our last breath or until Christ comes back for us, we will fight this flesh that we live in. And what we learn from King David's situation is that we must flee from our sinful habits and pursue holiness and righteousness in our lives. Simply put, we must take sin seriously. Because God does. I hope it, brothers and sisters, take heart because we have a faithful God and Savior who is merciful and gracious to sinners, and He hears our pleas for forgiveness when we fall short. Romans 7, been mentioned all morning, verses 24 and 25. Paul says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body? Of death. Oh, verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So, two appeals. First, if you're in this room, I've been praying for every single person in this place this week, myself included. If you're in this room, if you don't know Jesus, never had a relationship with the God of heaven, I want to simply plead to you, look to Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. He, the perfect Son of God, came to this earth, dealt with every temptation and struggle that we did, but yet he did it without sin. But listen, he went to the cross. He bore our sin and shame. He bore the righteous wrath of God in our place. And three days later, he rose from the grave, defeating sin and death forever. So no matter what type of sin you carry right now, what type of baggage you have on you, listen, there's no such thing as too filthy for Jesus. There's no such thing as too sinful for Jesus. Christ, our great high priest, who made a once-for-all sacrifice to forgive us of our sins, stands simply and says, Come, all you are weary and burdened, come find rest. Our sins run deep, but listen, his grace runs deeper. The song I wrote a while back says, All humble and lowly, find grace in a stream of love. For your sins have been paid in full, and your past was nailed at the cross. Come to Jesus this morning is my plea. Confess your sin to the Lord. Repent of your sin and place your faith in Christ Jesus. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins... He's faithful and he's just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And finally, believers in this room, fellow believers, I believe and I know, just like myself this week, all of us have failed and fall short of God's glorious standard. 
But can I just simply encourage you just for a moment? Um, We have a loving and gracious Father who's chosen us, who's saved us, who's adopted us as his children. And listen, he sees you and I as precious sons and daughters. So brothers and sisters, if we confess our sin through Christ Jesus our Lord, he is faithful and just to forgive. So um, I'm going to ask the worship team to to come up here and get ready. Um, So this is what happens around this place. I've, I've been here for four years now, and this is what happens during response time, usually. We say amen because we're long-winded people around here, and everybody's kind of anxious and just ready to move and trying to get different places. This is what happens. A lot of movement happens, a lot of talking happens, making unnecessary noise. And what's happening is the most important time of the service is right now, response time. Absolutely. Why? Because God's revelation has been revealed through song, through his word. And the question is, how do we respond to that revelation? Here's my, here's my plea for you this morning. In just a moment, we don't do this too often, like openly. Um, I just want to give some time just to, for every single person, if you're a believer, to just confess your sin before the Lord this week. He's faithful and just to forgive. He's a righteous and loving God. If you're not a believer and you're saying, man, I, I just want to have a relationship with Jesus. I'm so tired of living in my sin. I recognize my sin before him. And I, I, I beg God to forgive me of my sin. I just want to spend a moment. If that's you and you're like, man, I just don't know what to do. If you just want somebody to pray with you this morning, um, for the sake of room, I'm just going to be in the back corner. I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to pray with you. Just encourage you. Spend some time with you. So I'm gonna, we're going to spend a few minutes, and then we're going to, I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads, pray, spend some time with the Lord for yourself. And this is what we're going to do. The worship team is going to begin singing about God's faithful love. And I'm going to ask you guys to stand up with them and begin singing with them. And as they begin singing, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and come up to the front. We're having communion today. What a great day to celebrate the gift of Jesus. His perfect sacrifice on our behalf. I'm going to ask you to come up to the front and go ahead and grab both the cup and the bread, okay? And when you grab that, go back to your seat and continue to sing, okay? And after a few verses, I'm going to come up here and simply read a passage of Scripture with you. And then we're just going to celebrate the sacrifice of Christ together as brothers and sisters in faith. And what I'm so excited about, maybe there's somebody in this place today who for the first time gets to come to the table and celebrate Christ's work of, of redemption. Um, so can I just go ahead and invite you to bow your heads, spend some time with the Lord. If you would like to speak with me, I'm back here with, I'm, I'm love to talk to you.